Okay. Of the Bible. Second book of the Psalms. Second book of the Psalms. <laughs> I like somebody that knows what's going on. Chapter 65. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm sure they mean well. My, uh, oh, I left it in there. My little Franklin would tell you that uh, we'll be looking at the 65th chapter of the Psalms. But that's because it's not programmed. You know, if I look up something in Obadiah, it says it's Obadiah chapter 1. Well, there ain't no chapter 2. 2 John, 3 John. Philemon? Which one am I leaving out? Jude. Jude. Let's read these 13 verses from the 65th Psalm. We're almost the end of the second book of the Psalms. And here we go. Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion. And unto thee shall the vow be performed. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest, and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house even of thy holy temple. <clears throat> By terrible things in righteousness wilt thou answer us, O God of our salvation. Thou art the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of them that are far off upon the sea, which by his strength setteth past the mountains, being girded with power, which still at the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the people. They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid of thy tokens. Thou makest the outgoings of the morning and evening to rejoice. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn, when thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the spring thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness. <clears throat> and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. You know, if pastures and valleys are singing, does that mean we should too? Amen. Even if we don't hear the pastures and valleys singing, we ought to sing. Sure enough. I want you to know something. We had a very good question in. Sunday school. For those of you who weren't there, we were challenged. Just, just why do we go to church? Is it to get a little star? To get a check mark? I go 50 weeks out of 52, I'll get a Tootsie Roll or whatever. You know, people do sometimes things for the silliest reasons. <coughs> But I'm afraid we live in a day in which people have the attitude, what's in it for me? If you are a born-again child of God, I hope you don't have the attitude, well, I go because I can get a blessing. Well, that's secondary. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. <clears throat> But if you wanted to boil it all down, folks, it's all about the Lord. It's all about the Lord. We forget that sometimes. I get to see my brothers and sisters in Christ. I get to pray or 
here's someone else to pray and I can say amen to that prayer. That's one reason we ought to be listening during prayer because we want to be able to say amen. Paul said, if someone were to pray in an unknown tongue, how could you say amen? You might want to say, oh me. You have the opportunity to lift up your voice and sing to the Lord. It's good to like to hear singing. It's good to like to sing. And the same God that made the nightingale made the bullfrog. I wonder if the bullfrog said, well, I don't want to sound out too loud. I got to scratch his voice. Might rub somebody's ears the wrong way. God gave him the voice. God gave you the voice that you do. And so, <clears throat> use what you got. Somebody says, well, I know why you go to church. You need to preach. Well, I love to preach. I'm not saying anything again that. But uh, there have been times where I couldn't. I was under doctor's orders not to. It was kind of rugged. I went through about six weeks with a doctor. So I want you to do something for the next six weeks. And I said, what is it, Doc? Shut up. Well, you don't understand. I leave the music. Not for the next six weeks, you won't. You don't say, I teach. Not for the next six weeks, you won't. But I preach. Not for the next six weeks, or else get you another doctor. <clears throat> that was a challenge. I tell you what, my arm got tired going to the chalkboard and Writing a question. Tap, tap. Point, point. <clears throat> that were a challenge. Now he said I couldn't talk. He said I couldn't sing. But he didn't say anything about whistling. And I think it aggravated my father-in-law more than anybody else. Because uh, somebody else would have to call off the songs. Marsh would be playing the piano, and others would be playing other instruments, and, and who's that whistling? Who's that whistling? Well, there's always somebody in that crowd, you know. Because you can make noise whistling. You can make a pleasant noise. <clears throat> Many passages would remind us that it's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's all about the Lord. In many circles, people have a catechism. By the way, don't say, oh, Baptist, we don't use a catechism. Mr. Spurgeon had a catechism, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And following in that train, the first question in every catechism I've ever seen that was worthwhile asks, what is the chief end of man? Why did God make you and put you in this world? Was it so you could have a bunch of stuff? Was it so that you could see and hear and have all these sensations affecting you? We forget sometimes. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I thought God made me so I could eat hamburgers. No, that wasn't the primary purpose. You were made. I was made to glorify God. Man's will says, oh, I don't want that kind of God. That's the same kind of cry that Mr. Cain made. <clears throat> Every fleshling does, and sometimes we get in the flesh and we think it's all about me. But no, folks, it's all about the Lord. We need more Baptists like John the Baptist, who in John 3 30 is recorded, he said of the Lord, He must increase, I must decrease. It was said of a 20th century evangelist when they dedicated a museum to how he invested his life in proclaiming the gospel. 
He looked around and he says, you know what? <coughs> Too much about me here. Not enough about Jesus. I would not want to be remembered as the one who this or the one who that if it had anything to do with building up my own ego or establishing some kind of a base or whatever. I would want to be known as a minister of Jesus Christ. And even if not in that, I wouldn't want to be known as a child of God. We learned to sing a song in prison. I am a friend of God. How would you like to have people regard you as the friend of God? That's what Abraham wants. Jesus said, you're my friends. But there's a, there's a kicker to it. If you do what's all right from you. You can call yourself the friend of God. <clears throat> that doesn't make it any more so than a kid that goes out on Halloween and puts on a uniform. He says, I'm Superman. I'm Batman. I'm Green Lantern or something like that. Now, putting on that costume doesn't good. Playing a part doesn't cut. You want to be. You want to really be. <clears throat> I see four things just jump off the page here to me. And they're all about the Lord. The first one in the first verse talks about his priority. God must come first. When the farmer, listening to the counsel of the Lord, came came time to talk about gathering. They gathered the first fruits. That's what a lot of people ought to remember. But so many times, God gets whatever's left, if there's anything left. I think it was Mark Twain that says, when the preacher talks to me about giving to God, here's what I do. I get my money and put it in a basket. I toss it up into heaven. And everything that falls on the ground, I get to keep. Lord wants it so bad, he can hang on to it when it's in the air. Aren't you clever, Mr. Clever? That's the way a lot of people are. If you give God just the little bit that's left, might not be anything left. That's why they're called the first fruits. We have a day on our calendar set aside I got a goofy calendar a couple of years ago, and it, it started with Monday and ended with Saturday slash Sunday. Not even a whole day on the little chart there. But it is the first day of the week. Your week starts. Your day should start with communion with the Lord. Somebody says, Well, I, I wait till the end of the day to pray. Really? His mercies are renewed every, doesn't say noon time, doesn't say break time, it's every morning. We start the day. And so it is. God must come first. It is only and always about Him. <clears throat> when we're doing the right, when we're doing the wrong, in the 51st Psalm, we read how that David, who is grieved over having Basically, uh, I guess you could say he raped another man's wife. He took advantage of Bathsheba. What's she going to say to the king when she's called to the palace? And he seduces her. He lusted. He committed adultery. He committed murder. He set a lousy example for his servants. And you can't tell me nobody knew what was going on. People have eyes. People have ears. They're not as stupid as some folks suppose. And yet, David didn't say, Lord, i got a long list of folks I've offended. I did the wrong by so many people. I'm ashamed of myself. The bad example that I set. I hate if everybody in my kingdom did like the king did. On that matter. And yet, 
When he opens that psalm, he says, Against thee, the only of I sin. Because every sin we commit is first and foremost against God. It says of the wicked, I quoted a lot in Psalm 10, God is not in all his thoughts. Where does God fit in? Maybe some little corner. Maybe it's a little addendum. Maybe he's one of many. I was in the company of some people of a different stripe. They believe that God speaks to you in dreams and visions and voices in your ear. I'm sure there are other things as well. And the guy who was the leader said, let's make a list of ways God speaks to us today. And I said, his word, okay? What else? I didn't have anything else to say. Because you might say something that sounds pretty good, but it might be bogus. I might say something that sounds pretty good, but it might be bogus. You check it out in the Word. This is our final authority. Who God is and what God has said as He has clarified in His Word. He instructs us. He gives us illustrations and examples. And he lays it out for us. That's one reason why we should be serious about the study of this book. If all you can quote is John 3.16 and John 11.35 and Genesis 1.1, that's not going to cut it. We've got a lot of folks out there knocking on doors telling you that you need to come to the kingdom hall. Or you need to come to this or come and do that. You just don't get it if you don't have what we got going on. <clears throat> Somebody has referred to the cults as the unpaid debts. Because Christian people, I'm talking about people who have been born again. They've made profession of faith. They're baptized. They're members. They're regular attenders. And yet... They don't know beans about the Bible. They figure that's the preacher's job. Well, that's his job because he's a Christian. That's his opportunity to proclaim. But, folks, none of us are off the hook. You're a child of God. You need to be serious about what God has said. Get it in your head, get it in your heart, and get the words out of your mouth. For you see, it's always about the Lord. Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion. Talk about anticipation. If you have a pet and you come home, and they, they're excited to see it, but I bet part of it is they like to be petted. They like to be talked to in a kind tone. <laughs> Sooner or later, they probably like to eat something. There's an anticipation. What is expected of us before God? Right minds. Right hearts. Right spirits. An attitude of praise. Of honor. When you pray to the Lord, are you casual? Hey God, are you listening? <laughs> Not the way you ought to pray. Jesus said, let me tell you how you ought to pray. You're talking to your Heavenly Father. And before you talk about your gripes, your requests, your kingdom come. Your will be done. How about if it could be on earth the way it is in heaven? Now I could be wrong, but I take that to me. We need to be reminded that the devil, or rather the angels, aren't sitting around and when the Lord says, go do such and such, Ah, uh, when I feel like it. I'll get around to it sooner or later. You gonna to talk to the Lord like that? Don't even think that way. Praise waiteth for thee, O God in Zion. And unto thee shall the vow be performed. I hear people say, I promise on my mama's grave. Or I promise on this, that, and the other. They throw 
other folks' names into the picture. But when you make a vow, what do you use as the guideline? What is the standard? Every time we use the Lord's name, it ought to be with reverence, with respect, and knowing that God's name is to be dragged through the mud. As God is my witness. Hope you'll remember that. Because if you don't say what you say you're going to say, if you don't do what you say you're going to do, you just trash God. You talked a real good talk and not lived up to it. What does that say to others? What are you saying to yourself? Soul, I messed up with you. We need to take these things seriously. There's the priority. There's a lot in Scripture about keeping your vows. And you probably know you're better off not making a vow than making a vow and then not following through. I think some people think of a vow as a sort of like your New Year's resolution. Everybody makes them, and they've usually broken them in the first week of the New Year. I take it seriously. Better not to say it. And to say it with a view that, well, things happen. And then in verses 2 through 5, we're reminded, not only does he have the priority, but we have the presence of the Lord. And that should be our ultimate joy. God is with us. The Germans... I'm not sure if they did this in both the world wars, but in one of them anyway, they had a belt buckle that said, Gurdish Mitis. I don't speak a lot of German, but I understand that roughly translates, God is with us. Do you really believe that God is with you in a venture? That you're going down the trail that the Lord would have you to go down? Are you truly walking with Him? Is He truly inputting you? Are you doing what you feel like and you expect God to just rubber stamp it? That'll pass. That'll be okay. Right? Sometimes people do that. Again, we talked in Sunday school about the fact that there's some people, they won't go to church, but, but they'll do something else and call it church. But as somebody pointed out, first time they heard a deer snort, they're probably going to cancel services because they got something else to do. They got other fish to fry or deer to shoot whatever. Our joy, our rejoicing is to be in the Lord. Verse 2 reminds us He's the one that hears our prayer. I'm afraid there are some humans that are more concerned about who might be listening when we pray. You ever pray and get halfway through a sentence and realize I shouldn't have put it that way. Oh, but so-and-so is listening. They might correct me. Used to go to school with an English teacher, and she'd come up to people and say, you know, in your prayer, you say good, but it should have been well. I don't know that we need to get on our red pen and critique the grammar of somebody's prayer or anything like that. But we should remember it is the Lord who hears. Oh, thou that hearest prayer, Unto thee shall all flesh come. We need to be reminded that even if you whisper your prayers, the Lord hears them. Amen. You're laying in your bed, and it's late at night, and you don't want to jump out of bed and get down on your knees with a and say, Our gracious and divine Heavenly Father, wake everybody in the house up. That's not necessary for God to hear it. God doesn't need to hear again. I know I've told you this before, but it doesn't re- hurt to repeat it. Lyndon Johnson had a group of his men in the White House. He called on so-and-so to pray. And he could hear something that didn't sound too loud. Speak up, Sam! I wasn't talking to you, Mr. President. We're talking to God. The God who knows your vocabulary. The God who knows if you're putting on airs. You trying to impress God? I don't think that's going to happen. The cry of the soul 
the cry of the needy child, the cry of the sinner who is pouring out, confessing his sin before God. You think you've got to clean up your prayers before you go to the Lord? The Lord knows, warts and all, just exactly what we are. <clears throat> and be grateful that He loves you anyway. Do you ever believe in purgatory? And a Catholic once asked me, you know, in our church, we believe in purgatory. I oh, am? Yeah? Well, I'm a Baptist. I believe in purgatory. Really? Absolutely. Well, tell me all about it. And I took him over to Hebrews where it says, He purged our sins. Because you can't clean up your life. You can't make yourself right. The church can't. The preacher can't. The Sunday school teacher can't. Mama can't. Nobody. Not even an angel, but the Lord. Purgatory. The place where you are purged. You're made right. Those sins have been taken care of. What's it say in verse 3? As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. I can't get rid of my sins or yours or anybody else's. You can't either. But the Lord can. The Lord does. That's the only purgatory I'm concerned about. You know, it says in 1 John 1 9, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Not my blood, not your blood, not the Pope's blood or anybody else's blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 4, reminded of the results that come, the blessings. Because God makes and takes the initiative in our spiritual life. What did Jonah cry out the last verse of Jonah chapter 2? He was in the belly of the whale. And he said, salvation is something I hope I can find. No, salvation is of the Lord. Why was Joseph told to name this child Jesus? He's going to try to save his people from it. No, that's not what the Bible said. Angels said, you call him Jesus, he shall save his people from their sins. Like the man used to say, no doubt about it. It's a for sure thing. And look at verse 5. We might refer to verse 5 as the key to this psalm. And by the way, the word terrible doesn't mean some monster, some scary thing. But if something gets your attention, you can't be ho-hum and la-di-da about the words and the works of God. By terrible things in righteousness wilt thou answer us, O God of our salvation. When I speak, you may or may not hear. When you speak to someone, they may or may not hear. But when God speaks, you hear. Because God has a way of getting our attention. He knows exactly what to say, what volume to set it on, what tone to employ. God can get the word across. And so, we get the message. Those terrible things, not, don't think some monster. Something that is memorable. Something that grabs your attention. You're focused. You couldn't think of something else if you wanted to. We live in a day in which we want to multitask. People see how many things they can do. Rebecca's gone, so I can talk about it. <laughs> we have a little habit in our family, a little something we do. And uh, she said, can we do such and such? Sure. And of course, you know, we've probably done this at least ten times as a family. Yeah, and so she pulls out a little doodad and beepity beep beep. I thought you wanted to what? Well, yeah, but I can I can multitask because I, I know it pretty well. Know some of the lines of this and some of the actions of that. But I hope it's not that way when it comes to hearing from God. Amen. If you have God's word in front of you, you don't need anything else going on. You don't need to be daydreaming. 
wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be so attentive? Now, what if something should happen? Well, the dead said, how many hours did you have to power off from the storm? Quite a while. So it wasn't just a whoop whoop like that. No, it was out. When Jonathan Edwards wrote out a manuscript, and we call it the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He got out his manuscript and he's just he's read it off. He had it all written out word for word. And he opened by telling people, Sinner. <clears throat> There's nothing suspending you from dropping alive in a hill right now except the goodness of God. And he compared the sinner to a spider hanging by a single thread over a fire. And he said, I'm not talking about a fire, but I'm talking about the lake of fire. I'm talking about hellfire. What keeps you out of hell right now? And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ and the free part of your sin, guess what? We don't all just automatically go to heaven. That's what Hollywood would tell you. That's what the world would tell you. Oh, yeah, you, you, you'll probably be trying to pry up the gold out of the streets in heaven and all that sort of thing. Uh, it's not true that everybody goes to heaven. No. Except by the grace of God. We need to take that seriously. But to know this God, the great blessings that we have. Verse 5 reminds us that it's because of His presence that we have confidence. I remember a song, it's probably in the Stamps Baxter book, I've Got Confidence. You know that song? Gator. Gator. I've got confidence God's going to see me through. Is that a Gator? There is a Gator song. Okay, alright. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not wrong to have confidence, but what do you have confidence in? Well, I remember a fairy tale once and it said, so it's all going to come out. Now, you might just not have all the information. When I was a little kid, I'd watch those Disney shows and here's a rabbit. He's a cute little rabbit, you know, and he's just eating the grass and, and twitching his nose. And come, along comes Mr. Fox. And Mr. Fox starts to chase him. And the rabbit always makes it to the hole. And Mr. Fox, Mr. Wolf, is frustrated because they didn't get to have rabbit for dinner. That made me think a certain way. It's always going to come out. Well, well, a few years later, I'm watching TV and it's mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And I see Mr. Rabbit. And I see Mr. Fox. And the rabbit's running for the hole. The fox is right behind him. And we all know the rabbit's going to make it. And but he does it to the fox, gets him and kills him and eats him. And then old Marlon Perkins going on. Now, the little rabbit didn't have life insurance, but you could get life insurance with Mutual of Omaha. Man, talk about shaking up your world. But people don't always live out happily ever after. The world has lulled us to think that it'll come out. You ask some but people, what do you think about their soul? Well, they died. And so that means, well, you know, everybody goes to heaven. Somebody said even all dogs go to heaven. Well, I've never found that to document with Scripture, so I'm not going to comment thereon. But I do know this. Not everybody wakes up in the presence of the Lord in a joyful or rejoicing way. But we talk about His priorities. We talk about his presence. <clears throat> in 6, 7, and 8, we read about his great power. He began by speaking the universe into existence. You can say a thing, but that won't make it so. Two little fellas are out on the playground, and they say, okay, uh, you, know, you be this and you be that. I'll be Superman. You can say it all day long. 
doesn't make it so. Let's pretend. That's what we do a lot of times. We have a vision. We have an aspiration. We have a desire. But just saying it doesn't make it so. But God, when He speaks a thing, it is so. He spoke the world into existence. And we talked already about Mr. Lazarus. Jesus called his name. He said, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't say, in a minute, when I get around to it, when I feel like it. No. That's when it happened. The word spoken. And so, verse 6 reminds us that it all begins with his word. By his strength set it forth past first the mountains being girded with power. Not only did he create it, see there was a fellow known as the deist. And he would agree with us that God made everything. That's about as far as he went. According to the deist, God spoke it into existence and then said, I got something else to do. Somewhere else to go. Some other program I'm going to put into place or whatever. So don't bug me with prayer. Don't be looking for any miracles. My work is through here. No, God is not through with His great work. He maintains. That Colossians tells us Christ is before all things. There's His priority. And it's by Him that all things consist. You know why the very atoms in your body don't fly apart? Because God keeps all those atoms together. God is pleased to keep things in an orderly way as pleases Him. We are indeed, as the psalmist says in the 139th, fearfully and wonderfully made. So He's the one who begins with creation and then He can override even the intensity of the wind and the waves. How powerful can the wind be? Well, my mom grew up in a little town in Oklahoma. The whole mountain view. It's on the other side of the state. And she said a few nights, Grandpa would come and said, let's go down to the sun. And went down to the sun. And they found a straw slammed into a tree. They found a, I think it was a two-by-four that had been run right through the body of one of the mules. God, through wind, can do some amazing things that men, as far as I know, don't have a way to replicate. The wind and the waves. A lot of passages just in the Psalms that speak to that. But I would remind you the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus took a ride with some and they got out there in the Sea of Galilee which isn't just a little cow pond, folks. Coming from California, we have a lake that borders California and Nevada. It's called Lake Tahoe. And so, for my reference, and anybody else from that neck of the woods, I would tell people that the Sea of Galilee, about the same size as Lake Tahoe, they got some rugged storms out there on Lake Tahoe. The water is cold and deep, and the wind would blow. And the waves would go up and down. Well, these fellas, they weren't just piddling around in their doughboy pool. No. They're out there in the middle. And the waves. Up and down and all around. You see, that's one thing they had to teach us in Navy school. If you're on board a boat, the waves can make the boat go up and down. And it can rock from side to side. And it can tip, dip, and it can have two or even three of those actions going on at the same time. Rarely do people get land sick the way they might get seasick. So these fellows are out there on this boat, and you don't have your sea legs, you, you find out you, you're not on your legs, you're down. 
wind is blowing. And they said, wait a minute. We got Jesus with us. You know, they're probably chewing their nails and scared to death. They knew they could very easily be swamped. They wind up at the bottom of the cold, cold Sea of Galilee. So they find Jesus. Jesus is back there chewing his nails too, right? No, not our Jesus. He was asleep. I don't suppose you could be calmer during a storm than to be asleep. Marcia tells me I'm a pretty heavy sleeper. Some morning she'll say, well, that storm woke me up. And I'll say, what storm? Well, you didn't hear it, did you? No, did it bother you? <laughs> it got my attention. If you've been awake, and it got your attention too. Well, some things we can be thankful for. But Jesus was asleep. And they woke him up. And they dared to say, don't you care? Of course the Lord cares. The Lord cares more for us than we do for ourselves. And that's going some because most people, they care an awful lot about their own situation. And so the Lord said, oh my, I'm not prepared for this. No, not our God. He rebuked the wind and the wave. He didn't say, excuse me, excuse me. No. He barked away like you would if your neighbor, your next door neighbor, had a dog that was yapping away and just wouldn't shut up. You go, excuse me, Fluffy, would you please? I, I'm having a hard time getting to sleep. No. You would probably in no uncertain terms make it clear to that dog and its owners that you really wish them to hush it up. And then, of course, he spoke to those men. But I would remind you, they said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves? You catch yourself in a storm, just try to rebuke the wind and see how much it slows down. Try to, if you're out of the water, command the waters to be still as glass. See how quickly they obey you. Now you're probably just wasting your breath saying such a thing. Jesus never wasted his breath. His very words could still the storm and calm the sea. That's the sort of power we're talking about. Even our mornings are made pleasant. Now some people, they're morning people. They get up and they're just fresh as a daisy, ready to go. And other people, I'm not really a morning person. I don't really wake up till about 2.30 in the afternoon. Some people work better at different times of the day. But you can count on the Lord no matter when. Thou makest the outgoings of the morning and evening to rejoice. When you get up and you say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Oh, no! Well, I said, this is the day that the Lord, we will rejoice and be glad therein. And then the fifth thing I would remind you in verses 9 and 10, it's God who provides. That becomes a bromide a lot of times with some people. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And while that's true, ultimately it is the Lord who provides all things, life and breath and all things. But sometimes He allows us an opportunity to have a part in that. Thou visitest the earth and waters did. I would say he did that last night, wouldn't you? Amen. We're thankful that the Lord watered the earth. Marcia said, you know, I watered my flowers yesterday afternoon and the Lord did some more. Last night. That's great. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. 
Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. It even rains atop the high mountains if it's not snowing, but that's still a, a form of moisture. And as it melts, it comes down and blesses and blesses and blesses and blesses. It's amazing. God has a great watering system. When I taught geography at the college, I told students, you know, men have figured out some things, but if they just bother to look in the book of Ecclesiastes, it tells us in the first chapter that all the rivers flow into the sea. Yet why doesn't the sea just sea level come up and up and up and eventually cover all the land? That's because it also tells us the place from whence the waters came, thither they returned. People said, we ought to get into recycling. Uh, we're getting a little late in the program because God's been recycling. Ever since the first drop of rain fell, it has come down and it has gone either into the ground or absorbed by evaporation or into the sea. And then from there evaporates. Where does it go from there? Well, we call them clouds. And those clouds get blown back in over the land and they render rain, snow, sleet, whatever. And the whole cycle begins again. You may, this day, drink some water that at one time was drunk by Julius Caesar. At one time drunk by Alexander the Great. At one time perhaps Drunk by Jesus himself. God has a way of recycling it. He didn't make any more water since the week of creation. He's just been recycling it. Keeping it going. Loud and clear. And verse 10, we read about the fact that he waters the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows up. Thou makest it soft with showers. You know, over hundreds of years, water falls on the earth and it breaks loose the soil. It breaks, even in time, the rocks. Larger rocks, smaller rocks, pebbles, sand, and all of that. God is doing that. It's a constant process. And when it speaks of the gentle rains here, making the soft with sharp... Literally, that expression means he melts the earth. And that's a great reminder as well. He concludes the psalm with these last three verses. I want you to know that God has <laughs> left a mark on his creation. And that's why when we look at what God has done, we can do little more than stand in awe. Look at what God has done. Not just a sunset, although that's an amazing thing. Not just when you see His power in a storm. You can feel the air blasting in your face. You can see stuff flying along. I can't make that happen. You might suppose such a thing. You might see it in a film because of a special effect, but... God didn't have to cut some special effect department to make something like that happen. He's got it going on. And when you're in a position like that, there's no room for whining. There's no room for begging. We should rejoice that the God of the creation is also the God who knows us in a personal way. And we can and are obliged to know Him. In a personal way. He has said, I give you the instruction right here. I give you an open door. Through Christ you can pray. You don't have to hunt up some angel and say, here's a note, would you take it to the Lord for me? Here, preacher. Here, priest. Here, Pope. Would you get in a word with the Lord? You as a Christian can and ought to pray. Regular. And I'll always to pray and not to faint. 
that's the easy way. But the godly way is to pray. In Romans 12, Paul says, you need to present your body. Not just your future, not just your aspirations, not just your down-the-road stuff. Right here, right now, he said. Present your body a living sacrifice. I know people say, when I die, I'm going to give my kidney and my lungs and I'm going to give this. But when I'm through with it, somebody else can use it. They'll ask you that DMV. Do you want your organs, this, that, the other? Not that's your decision as far as that goes. But how about right here, right now? What are you going to use your hands for? Your feet, your eyes, your ears, your time, your talents, your energies. Present to God. And you know, Paul doesn't say, I know I'm asking you to do the second mile. No, he says, that's your reasonable service. The Lord doesn't ask anything more of us that is right and proper. Now you can't do too much about yesterday. And it's almost 2 o'clock today. Over half the day is gone. But what about the rest of this day? The rest of this week? The rest of this month? The rest of this year? The rest of your life? Are you presenting it to God? Are you consciously and continuously thinking these are God's hands. These are God's eyes. These are God's... It's God's time. It's God's opportunity. May I be that pleasing servant to Him. First John says His commandments are not burdensome. It's right up our alley. What is our attitude? Let's stand for a word of prayer.